Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's Bitches on Comics, and I'm your host, Sarah Century. And I'm your other host, Essie Fleenor. And I'm super pumped because we have Danny Lore back again. We had a great conversation with them about, holy shit, everything on the planet and all of the amazing <laughs> projects they've been doing since the last year since we talked to them, uh, which is amazing, impressive, and also I'm just tired thinking about it. I'm gonna be honest. I'm tired too. Yeah, but it made me tired. To be fair, though, talking with you guys about it brings back a lot of the energy from uh, all the uh, scheduled exhaustion. So it's always nice. Oh, my heart just exploded into glitter. I am so pumped that you're back with us today. We are going to have Danny help us answer a great question we got from a listener that Sarah and I looked at each other and went, "Huh." I don't know. (laughs) So uh, I'm going to go ahead and start by reading that question in just a moment. But first, Danny, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, just in case someone has missed our other episodes. If you haven't heard episode 45, I do many things. That's the first time we had Danny on the pod, and that one's from 2020. So make sure you listen to that. And then there's been another episode, but we're recording this at a time where I I don't know when it is airing. So listen to that one, too. But Danny, tell us about yourself. First of all, I'm yet again laughing at the fact that I I did say some nonsense like I do many things. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm Danny Lore, comics and prose writer of pretty much anything sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. Uh, I've written for DC, Marvel, Vault, IDW, and a few others as well. And I'm really happy to be back. Yes, yes, yes. The first time you were on, we talked about your comic Queen of Bad Dreams mostly. And then I believe the follow-up was a lot of the licensed properties and your new project through Vault. And yeah, I'm excited for all of these new comics. Beautiful things on the horizon already in my lap. I'm holding champions on my lap. That sounds so weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a weird way to say that. Well, you know what? I've said That's weirder. That's what you get today. fine. <laughs> Okay, well, we have a wonderful question today from Quinn via Instagram. Quinn, we love you. Thank you for the question. It is, you have done a good job getting into my slash our collective heads about supporting minority creators. We are so pleased to hear that. I am very curious how to best support these creators, queers, folks, and honestly, just anybody who's not a cis white male, especially when they're in the big two publishers. Does getting the trade of their collected work or series do they get do they actually get paid if I if I pick up the trade or if I have them on my pull list? How does that work with digital? Do creators still make money if we buy digitally versus physically? And I want to start with a little bit of a little caveat, which is we have invited Danny to talk about just the, the sort of money and pay side of things and how best we can support them and other queer and people of color and trans creators. We are not expecting every part of that to be answered. So, Danny, 
talk to us a little bit about maybe how your contracts come together and, and just sort of like what's the landscape of that and then any of the specifics you feel comfortable getting into, we'd obviously love to hear about too. So contractually, things usually differ both by company and by type of work, like say if it's graphic novel versus single issues, and then also creator-owned or licensed. Also, whether it's the first time I've worked with a company before. We can take IDW, for example, where I was writing the Transformers series uh, while also having done like a Star Wars short, right, for Star Wars uh, Adventures. For certain companies, once you're, quote, in the system, uh, it's it's pretty smooth because you are kind of in agreement unless you choose to renegotiate certain things that uh, the rules stay the same. Creator-owned can be a little bit different because you are probably negotiating each one fresh, regardless of the company that you're working on. For me, I have a literary agent uh, for a couple of reasons. One, as someone who is very anxious uh, and suffers from ADHD, having uh, someone to help me champion for myself on a contractual level is incredibly useful. Our style of working relationship tends to be that I take the lead and then kind of like when it gets to contractual stuff, kind of like pass off. Some people have relationships with their uh, agents where they get more of their work through their agent. Also, a lot of people Uh, who do work for hire, especially in single-issue comics, uh, don't have agents, although that is uh, changing more and more. And companies are having to interact differently with people because of that. My relationship contractually obviously uh, changes uh, from time to time. Um, I have been very fortunate that there have been very few companies I've worked with where I've had to be the person to break a door down. So I am coming from that perspective. And I mean this in a couple of ways. Um, How often I've not had to be the first that a company is working with, uh, whether it be Black writer, uh, AFAB, uh, non-binary, queer in any sort of way, but also in the fact that I do believe that some of my relationships with companies are formed by the fact that they are aware that I already have very deep, important friendship, important to me, not like important like these cool people, although I happen to think they're cool, <laughs> right. but that I have very <laughs> close relationships to a bunch of comic writers already when I am engaging in these things. So both on a personal and professional level, I come into conversations, sometimes being recommended by a friend who like couldn't do the work or because a lot of my relationships, although they are now between me and people in the uh, industry did start from the fact that like either I was co-writing with Vita or when conventions were a thing, having an experience of very much being like, I am going to stand with so-and-so and so-and-so, like be it Matt Rosenberg or Vita, for example, or even a little bit like James Tynion, although we became closer later on, and being introduced to editors and stuff that way. And I do think that that shapes some of my interaction with the industry, right? Sure, sure rather than coming to it isolated, you Mm -hmm. know? There was a lot that I got to learn about the politics of the industry by watching multiple friends breaking into the industry about two years before I did. That's one of the reasons that I came in with an agent, you know, because uh, one, I was very fortunate that Susan and I met, but also that I know where my strengths are and an agent helps me with that. In terms of like the second half of how like best to support, I am going to give the caveat of I want you guys to read my stuff in the way that makes you happiest to read it. 
if dealing with digital or dealing with single issues is not your bag, I'm not going to be out there like buy, you know, buy these and pre-order issues, partially because I worked at a comic shop. And if single issues aren't your bag and you pre-order them to support me, that damages in some ways comic shops because then they're left with issues that they don't necessarily want. Mm -hmm. It is a very, very complicated thing where unfortunately a lot of the finances in the way that the comic book industry works, although I will say that there's a lot of changes, especially on the digital side, right. that like the best solution for a writer may hurt a distributor or the best one for a distributor may hurt the shops, may hurt the editorial end. And it's very difficult to find solutions that work for everyone and are healthy for everyone. A lot of this is due to histories of unhealthy practices in the industry uh, that some companies are trying to unlearn and some aren't. That said, I generally go into every project with the hope that it does well enough that I see, with the hope that I get royalties, but understanding that the size of the industry often means that I may not. Or if I do, I get them so far in the future as to not necessarily factor in to anything I should financially plan. And by that, I mean uh, that Publishing work usually happens under page rate and or advance. Mm -hmm. What that means um, is that you are either paid a quote, a chunk up front and up front might be split in different ways. Like when you sign the contract, when you deliver the work, when when the work goes out to print, but it's all considered like an advance because it's technically an advance on royalties or a page rate, which will be for every page I write of this, we have agreed upon page rate, right? And so the amount that I know that I'm going to make off this book is that times the number of pages. And then what happens is as a comic sells, the company has to, you know, then get reimbursed for publishing, et cetera. And they also want to make, uh, you know, a profit as well. And when they hit the point where everyone is making money, that also includes the advance against our page rate or just like the big advance, right? So for every issue sold, I'm terrible at numbers, so I'm not going to do any percentages here because I don't want anyone to think that the number I pulled out of my ass (laughs) is like accurate. Yeah. But say that there's a certain percentage in your contract that it says the writer gets this percentage of the profits for every issue. You are not going to see any additional money until that percentage totals up to past everything they've paid you and they've made profit, right? And so like those percentages don't even factor in until after they've they've broken even. Do you call that earning out in comics as well? I do prose as well. So I believe that that's also the case. Uh, okay. Although I know in prose it's called earning out, but I wasn't sure in comics if we use that term. But to be perfectly honest, and this doesn't always mean that people got paid shittily. In fact, sometimes this can mean that they got paid very well. So like just the numbers don't work out that it's pretty common to assume you're not going to ever earn out in comics. Ah, So I don't financially factor in the idea of earning out ever because you can't rely on it. And some of this, some of this is just the size of the industry, right? Especially in superhero comics, right? Because think about everybody whose work goes into creating that superhero comic not even just like, oh, the like the corporate overlords, et cetera. But they have to make these comics produce enough money for the editor, the assistant editor, you know, marketing people, all of these people to get paid down the line, right? So these comics for, for them to earn out 
have a, a fairly decent, you know, line threshold. that they have to cross, threshold that they yeah. have to cross, right? Now, we can still talk about pay inequalities. Those are still something that greatly exist, that we have to struggle with, that the fact that we live in an industry where I've seen, for example, artists getting paid so low per page that the only way they get near their deserved pay rate is if writers go, I'm not taking a page rate in all, at all and hope I get paid on the back end. Um, I've seen that. And I mean, I think that if anyone has to take a pay cut in those situations, it has almost always translated to, yeah, it should be the writer because of the situations, because of the amount of labor that is put into art. But we still are in an industry where that happens and that should never happen. But also you can get an advance that is large enough that you never earn out, but you've still made some more money than someone who has earned out, you know? So like, the money aspect is funky, <laughs> you know, like uh, when you start factoring that in. Totally. I mean, it, it's I know in publishing, it's such a, a tricksy world in terms of books because, you know, you got to earn out. And then there's like, oh, so there's, you know, getting a huge advance is flashy. But is it good? Can you even earn out on that big of an And advance, then sometimes you know? the math is so weird in publishing that it's possible for someone to get a huge advance, never earn out. And the publishing house makes shit tons of money. And it works out for everyone. Mm -hmm. It is also possible that, like, you can get a small advance. And then so you earn out a lot. And that works out well, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, just because mm -hmm. of the way percentages on the sale work. Because of what it means if a book does well for a company, you know, like. And that's before you get into optioning or the way that successful books actually, you know, from a company do draw attention to the rest of the slate, you know, like the money is funny um, and profit and loss forms are mystical. Oh, um, truly. And that's really could be in any language. I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> yeah. And that's before you get into what marketing can do to not guarantee, but encourage a bestseller. Oh, certainly. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I wasn't sure how much would translate to comics, so it's it's helpful. Also, especially because you you walk in both worlds, um, you have a good sense of what I'm asking when I'm asking it. So I'm curious, does that mean then for you, I'm guessing the percentages are different, but you probably get some amount or some amount toward earning out is probably a better way of putting that on digital, floppy, and trade paperback. Yes. Is that fair? Uh, yeah. Uh, again, it it depends. I hilariously at one point got like, you know, it's a bit more than like what the, you know, joke sharing of checks for five cents are or whatever. But like I got like a check from a company for like $100 or so. And I could not for the life of me figure out what the fuck it was for. And I was talking to Teeny Howard and Teeny was like, it's because the trade just came out. And when the trade first came out, they got a big boost in sales. So I got like a percentage from that. I will probably never see any more money from that trade, right? Because it's a trade with a bunch of other creators in it, right? And so like the percentage that I get off of that is incredibly small. But, you know, like sometimes things like that happen and it's very funny. If I remember correctly, I want to say typically speaking, digital percentage may be less than, but honestly, if you are continuously reading and you are continuously signal boosting and recommending and reviewing and, you know, leaving stars or whatever on, on books, as long as you are reading the way that you feel comfortable, I'm going to be all right. You know, like 
yes, there's a big conversation about whether or not books will be able to last if people are waiting for trades. But I also think that, especially post-COVID, we are seeing some changes behind the scenes that understand the importance of the digital and trade in a different way. And my logic is I have tried to be a single issue reader many times, but I live in a small apartment in New York. Sometimes it's just not viable. I've been fortunate that like, oh, I have too many comps and I don't go to like a show. I have like a little kid who lives like across the hall. So like for like the comics, like champions or something that are age appropriate, I just kind of hand them over to his dad and then like some other stuff, you know, like I'm like, this isn't appropriate for him, but you said you like comics. But like, I get it. Like it's golden. If you are reading it and enjoying it and paying for it in some way, and that includes if it's Kindle Unlimited, you know, read the book to the end. And that will fulfill the end game that I need to see money from it. <laughs> well, and that that makes me wonder then too about the apps for Marvel and DC. Is that the same idea? Probably. Uh, <laughs> You'd have to dig out the contract and yeah, look at the fine print. <laughs> uh, I'm honestly not sure off the top of my head, but what usually happens, and I say this with the caveat of there are always exceptions. It is of possible course. that all of the contracts that I'm working on right now have this, and it's possible that none of them do because I do not remember. But there is usually a threshold in reading it. So just opening a book, uh, like say on like those unlimited apps or streaming apps, mm. won't factor that in, but there's usually a tipping point. That can be anywhere from, I want to say, 20 to 50% of the book. And that will trigger it counting as read. I don't know what the standard tipping points are, though. Um, and honestly, I'm not sure if I'd even be able to talk about the details of that uh, contractually, just because they're, like, different from each company. Also, I feel the same way about library. Libraries have to pay, like, licensing to carry the books. And that price is not the same price point as... If they're getting new books that aren't, like, given to the library, they have to pay for the library edition. The library edition on its face is one already expensive. Like it is more expensive than you buying it in the store. They are paying the fees and licensing for it to matter when people borrow them and read them. I want to say at one point I read that there was that they have to go through like the fees after like certain amounts of certain number of times of reading or like number of years. I don't remember which one. Um, but that's also why when your library doesn't carry something, it is really still great for us for you to ask that they carry it and request it. That still helps us out because in the end, especially since especially single issue culture means that a lot of us aren't depending on royalties. What we are depending on is getting hired to do another book, you know, and that is, that's really my, my goal is I just always want to make enough money and do well enough that this can be what I do. I know some people want more money than that. I'm sure my wife, if she was awake, would be like, I would like to be spoiled. Um, but if you are buying and repping and you pre-order the trade, if you're not going to get the single issues, for example, that matters. Because even if a series gets canceled, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to work with that creative team again. It will suck. Like, it always sucks to get a series canceled. But as long as you are, like, waving, waving the flag of, you know, like, loving these teams and 
putting your dollars behind those teams, the companies will rehire them. Yeah, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about just, I guess, alternative means of supporting creators, because what you talk about here is like, yes, definitely like all of the different ways that you can help a book succeed. And then I'm thinking about how a lot of times you see artists who will like open commissions for a while. I know that Patreon is a thing for a ton of creators of all different disciplines. So is there anything else on top of that that you can think of that's kind of like outside of supporting the books, buying the books, you know, doing either floppies or trade, requesting at your library? Uh, Is there something else that you can do to help writers and comic book artists? I think that anytime you communicate that their work matters to people who hire creatives, (laughs) it really, really matters. Uh, I'm not a creator that does Patreon or anything like that simply because I I can't keep up with that. But people signal boosting and chatting about work does help. You know, it may seem like not a big deal, but if, say, I do short stories, right? And so a lot of my uh, short stories are published in free-to-read magazines online when I do that, right? You know, like, by interacting with those, with promoting those, you are doing me a great service. You know, careers are made by people noticing short stories, for example, right? Like, and short story prose is like, it is very easy to disappear in in the ocean, even if you're in a really good magazine, right? But the more eyes that you get on, on any project, the more likely people are to remember it when it comes down the line, right? And, and that always matters. You know, like that may not get me more money when you retreat, retweet a short story, but that that is still supporting me in big ways, you know. And I think it also always depends, one, because it's a little difficult if you're not going to do like a Patreon or whatever, right, for uh, for a writer to put themselves out there. Like I will occasionally do like a Kofi or something, but I'm like, I try to keep that limited to when I am in need because... I don't like asking when I don't have something immediate to offer up, you know, like stories or, you know, something like that. But literally just making sure people don't forget who we are gets us work. Having evidence of an audience who loves our voice matters, you know? Like I've literally gotten work off of a friend being mutuals with an editor and retweeting my work. And like that friend wasn't even necessarily like a writer, right? I met my first editor at IDW because, you know, she posted about looking for more Black creatives and I posted in that thread and, like, she had been familiar with my work before, but, like, I am sure that seeing other people who are both fans and in the industry replying to just that with the look at Danny's work matters, you know? So I don't know. I just, like, I exist off of positive cheering on my work and the opportunity to do more work. So um, that's that's really what I can think of. You know, like there are some times where those memes about who you would like to see and write something is are like full of shit, you know. But there are other times where I can say for a fact that I have gotten work because people have tagged me in uh, when someone was like, hey, give me names of people you'd love to see work at this company. 
I think this has been absolutely delightful, Danny. Thank you so much for walking us through the different ways that we can all be better supporting, obviously, queer and trans and people of color and women creators, but also just creators you love. It's it's wonderful to support people. And, you know, we're always big proponents of the library. So it's so nice to hear you say that. You know, we, we mm-hmm. talk from our sort of sense from the outside, but it's good to hear from the inside too. I also know, and this is just a fun tidbit to share, I read that in Canada, the way that the library royalties work is different than the U.S. So you actually get paid by time it's checked out, Mm. not by like the license of the uh, library, which is just like, uh, Canada. Um, So (laughs) I was just going to share, you know, Everything's different. So, you know, also if you know creators and and you're in community with them, like ask them, ask them how they want to be supported. I think one of the things I love so much about you, Danny, is you're always very like, hey, I'm talking for me. So someone else is going to have different answers. To that end, we are super pumped. We will be having Natasha Alterici onto the podcast sometime soon to talk about her perspective as an artist and, and how she views these things as well, which is totally different from being a writer in in some ways. Oh, sorry. I just remembered uh, one thing that I think is super important. Please, go ahead. Because it's like a philosophical thing. Just that allow queer creators the chance to, by supporting them, do things different than their norm. And by this, I don't Mm -hmm. mean that you have to unthinkingly support every book uh, that they are doing, um, that Mm -hmm. you shouldn't critique what they're doing. because I think that those sorts of conversations are incredibly important for us growing, not just as creators, but as people and as a community. I think that it is very easy for any creator to get like pigeonholed uh, into a certain trope of writing. And it is more so when we are searching for queer creators because we're drawn to them because of some personal relation with the first like works that we consume of theirs, right? Uh, But I think that it is difficult to forget that just like, you know, a lot of the, you know, like straight creators, sometimes they want to do vastly different things than the thing before. And even if you end up not liking it as much as the other stuff, trusting the creators enough to try them and still champion them doing those things, I think, goes a long way. Right. And that is kind of an ongoing conversation too, right? With queer creators and how um, I think a lot of queer creators can sometimes be, yeah, definitely pigeonholed. And we, it's like people expect certain things from them. And if it's not delivered, then there can be a lot of backlash. And I think that that's something that is an ongoing conversation. So I, I think that that's uh, very relevant. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, Dane, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for continuing to keep front of mind for us the importance of how we use our power, right? Our power to spend money, our power to go to the library, our power to retweet, our power to whatever it is. We all have some, some bit of power and we can together do beautiful things to support creators we care about and to support them to, to try new things that they're excited about. Danny, I was hoping you would just tell folks a little bit about Lunar Room. I think we talked about it, but not by name at the top of the episode. So if you just want to share a little bit about that very cool project and, uh, you know, if, if there's anywhere we can learn more, you can tell us where that is. And then also about where we can find you on social. Uh, so uh, Lunar Room uh, is my uh, new book over at Vault with Gio Esposito, DJ Chavez on 
Colors uh, and And World on Letters. It is a bit of a genre mashup. Got all different flavors of sci-fi, noir, um, and fantasy. Starring Cynthia Sinbreaker, an ex-enforcer who was a werewolf who, after um, leaving, shall we say, her old job, she lost the ability to transform. Having to team up with Zack Zero, who is a non-binary um, wizard who desperately decided that they needed some muscle to protect them on this upcoming adventure. And that will be coming out later this year. I'm incredibly excited for it. Uh, and if you're looking to see me squeal about that and literally anything else that comes to my brain, uh, you can find, usually find me on Twitter uh, at WereDogs, W-E-R-E-D-A-W-G-Z. Amazing. Danny's always worth a follow. Danny is hilarious. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you know, my babies, my listener babies, we love you. Thank you so much for letting us bend your ear. We appreciate you coming back week after week. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about how you can support creators, but you can also support us by going ahead and giving us a nice review. Give us five of those stars or hearts. I don't know how it works. I haven't thought about it lately. Sarah, you're the best. I love you. Danny. Yeah. Come on. You're so incredible. <laughs> I adore I just, you guys. Uh, and hopefully in like a year we chat again. I, hopefully we talk <laughs> yes. before then. But in a year we chat and we have so much more to talk about for all of us. Yay. Oh, I am sure that we all will. And I am so stoked. Decoded. Decoded. I heard a rumor that something called Decoded was just around the corner. Decoded. <laughs> we are coming back for the third year in a row with our extremely cool, very dear and near to my heart, speculative anthology of all LGBTQ stories by queer and trans authors. Dakota. It is called Decoded Pride. It's at dakotapride.com. And you can pick up a subscription today for only $14.99. Or if you go to any of our social media sites on Instagram or Twitter at Bitches on Comics, or if you follow us on Patreon or support us over there on Patreon, we have discount codes already all plugged in for you. And you can get it for even cheaper. So go check those out. But right now you can get it for $14.99 at decodedpride.com. And Sarah, what is Decoded? What are people going to get? They get 30 stories that can be any kind of stories, really, other than literary fiction. <laughs> we mostly just do queer speculative fiction. You have stories of comic books. You have stories of horror stories. You have fantasy stories, science <laughs> fiction, all of the things. You know what speculative fiction is. I don't have yeah, to tell you. Yeah, stuff that's just... Even just too hard to define. Simply undefinable. Genre bending. Trippy. Yes. Yeah, I'm really excited this year. The, the stories, I mean, they're, they're great every year. And if you haven't bought a subscription to issue one or issue two, you what can do you so doing? right now <laughs> over at, guess what? Decodedpride.com. <laughs> <laughs> I'll Please go, go get a subscription. I think it's just really neat. It's awesome to read queer and trans people's stories. 
that are the ones they want to tell because they know they can take risks with us. And I, you know, I've really seen that pay off and I'm delighted. I can't wait for people to start seeing these. What's especially cool is that every story that is not a comic has a piece of art that accompanies it. In almost every instance, that art is made by our very own Sarah Century and in one instance made by the artist who wrote the story as well, which is very cool. But Sarah, you know, what, what do you enjoy about making the art for Dakota? Oh, I like drawing pictures. <laughs> I do. And I have for a long time. I think that it's really fun because it makes me examine the stories and think about them in a different way. It makes me get creative because normally when you read a story, you're just thinking about what you thought about it overall. I'll engage with stories like that usually. Whenever you're doing the art, it means you really have to look back over it and back over it and engage with it in a way that you haven't before, which... Yeah, you don't have to do it with every story that you read in your life, but it's really fun whenever you do it for Decoded, as I do. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. I love that. It's pretty neat. Well, we hope you'll come support us and all of the amazing creators we're getting to publish this year. We are absolutely ecstatic. Again, join us at decodedpride.com. Dot com. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. So this is a, a question from a listener. I'm curious about how best to support queer creators and other minority creators, especially when they're in the big two publishers. Does buying their variant covers kick back to them proportionally? Does getting the trade or edition of their collective work or series actually go to them? How does that work with digital? Um, as far as I know, um, most of the big two have royalties like included in any of their their uh, creators like contracts. Uh, everything I've done for the big two, which I mean, has only been two projects, I get royalties for. Um, I do not know the, the the split between like digital and physical media. Um, I'm sure it's in a contract somewhere, but I I honestly don't know the, what the difference is. Um, but yes, if you, if you want to support that creator and they have something out right now, it's it, go for it. 
they will probably most proportionally benefit if you buy stuff from them directly. Uh, if they are working for the big two, it's likely that they have other stuff that they've done um, independently. Uh, and if you can find that, I would seek that out like first. Uh, if you if you have to choose between buying that and buying their big two stuff, I would recommend buying like their their independently produced stuff first because they're definitely going to see like a, a higher percentage of that um, and they're going to see it right away. Uh, whereas they might get a royalty check like once every year or so, <laughs> depending on you know how popular the book is. Um, so yeah, that would be my advice. And if they have, you know, Patreons or they have Kofi's or whatever, uh, and, and you're able to, and you want to, uh, you know, sending them a tip every now and then is a good deal. And, um, for like independent artists, uh, a lot of them take commissions. So hit them up about those and tip them generously. Those are all really fantastic tips and echoes a lot of what we heard from Danny Lore, who we also posed this question to, uh, but we know obviously you straddle the writer and artist line, so you have a different insight there. And I was curious, do you know, like if, if, if you were to do a variant cover and someone chose to get your variant cover versus chose to get the main title, do you know about how the, the royalties break down differently there or not necessarily in detail, but like, does it make a difference, I guess? I think generally for covers, um, those are generally like work for hire situations where you get paid like upfront for those um, and you don't necessarily see anything on the back end um, as far as my understanding goes. So I don't know if there's a huge difference other than that the publisher will see that you, that, that particular creator's work sells well um, and they might, you know, be asked to do more work. So there's probably a benefit there. Um, but as far as like getting royalties between like different versions of the thing, I don't know that cover artists typically get royalties unless they're like big names that have like agents who have like negotiated that into the contract. I don't think they generally uh, get anything like extra. So it's more of a flat fee thing. I think so. Yeah, generally. Uh, that makes sense. That makes mm -hmm. sense. We talked to Danny about this so at length now that I'm just like, oh, yeah, I guess we did kind of go into a lot of like the nuance of this question, right? Where we're kind of thinking, so how overall would you show support? And a lot of the things that you just said are like it, right? Like basically, you just look to find whatever way you can directly be in touch with them about it and be like, oh, so like, you know, if they're accepting commissions, like maybe commission them and more or less just kind of it's more about general vibes, right? Than like any, like, you know, rush out that day to buy every <laughs> single thing, which would be really nice, right? right? But also like people who are picking your stuff up over like a period of time and talking about it a lot. Like the word of oh, mouth yes. thing was a big thing that we talked about with Danny. That's the best way. If you, if you're, you know, financially not able to like support an artist as much as you want, which I understand, like I, I don't have the money to like buy comics every week. Um, I'm mostly just reading stuff from the library. Um, but yeah, like sharing out those links of, you know, if somebody's got a book coming up or if they have a Patreon or something, you know, sharing those links around or just retweeting their art. I don't know, like algorithmically, like the difference between a, a retweet and a quote tweet or whatever, or sharing stuff on Instagram. I don't even know if you can anymore on Instagram. They've changed so much. Um, but yeah, just like just helping to spread around their art or their writing, you know, getting their name out there so that other people can find them, you know, people who may potentially have the financial ability to like commission them or, or buy some of their art or something. Uh, you know, I've pretty much gotten every job I ever had through word of mouth stuff. So it's, it's way more important than, than a lot of people think. 
Right. And also the library thing we talk about a lot. It's like, that's a big portion of a lot of people's sales. Like, you know, books only sell so many copies, mm-hmm. especially in today's market where there's so many books. Right. So requesting at libraries is totally valid. Absolutely. <laughs> like if, if they don't have it and or just keeping keeping it going, like requesting it, you know, if there's like holds on it or something like that, that's all ways that librarians know to keep buying from this person. Yeah. So I think that that's a big one that a lot of people feel like it's counterintuitive to say, oh, ask libraries to carry my book. No, it's not. And I think, <laughs> right, it just makes perfect sense, right? It's yeah. like, no, that's going to be, if you have like a hundred sales through libraries that's huge and a ton of people will see that and you're reaching out to people who wouldn't necessarily otherwise see your stuff because Mm -hmm. there's people who just kind of browse libraries right yeah i used to work for a library so i know a little bit about this the versions that libraries buy actually typically cost more than the ones you would get like at a bookstore because they're library editions uh, sometimes, uh, if they're not like straight up donated to the library, then they, they would be like library specific editions, um, especially like audiobooks and digital media or they have like exclusive like licenses or whatever. Um, so yeah, requesting those items at a library or just like checking them out, uh, you know, that lets the library know that they, they need to like stock more of them. So they'll buy more. And, uh, if, if some of them go missing, if somebody like yoinks it off the shelf, whatever, they'll buy another one. Um, you know, they're, they're public institutions for a reason to make these things accessible to everybody. Uh, so use it, absolutely use it. And, uh, if you really love a book one day, you might be able to afford to just buy your own copy. But until now, don't feel guilty about using the library. It's an excellent way to support artists. Yeah, um, I'm kind of curious just a little bit more about that, because in general, working at a library, you know, that gives you kind of a different angle, I feel like, on, you know, graphic novels and who reads them and things like that. So is there anything that you feel like you specifically learned about comics while you were working for a library? Maybe not specifically, um, but I know I know that, uh, you know, the books that were like constantly being checked out were constantly having to like be reordered, like and replaced um, because they were so popular, you know, that people they would just go missing, you know, um, which meant that we just had to buy more. So it, it was always good for for the artists or for the, you know, the, the person that made that book for for people to be using it, no matter how they're using it. I worked at a university library, so there was kind of like all kinds of stuff there um and there's like a monthly like missing reports and i would i would see like the same like titles over and over again like the twilight books were always going missing right we always had like like a hundred copies of the twilight book because they were constantly going (laughs) missing uh so yeah like that's one side of it yeah Essie, do you have any library questions? <laughs> We're big library fans. We love like, the library. I, yeah, I, I love What's your favorite from, section in the library, both of you? Oh, I'm going to say probably the art section just because it's close to the biography section, like it's close to the music section. But the art section has all of those big old giant books that nobody can afford to buy because mm-hmm. they're like $150. And that's why nobody does those books anymore. Because yeah. <laughs> too many publishers <laughs> like bankrupted themselves putting out these gorgeous art books that nobody can buy except Coffee for the library. Table books. <laughs> oh, man, they're so gorgeous. But I love going through the library and being like, oh, so this is kind of like, you know, I'm used to looking at this stuff either on my cell phone or something. So it's kind of nice sometimes to be able to look through read little notes on the artist you know that's like my casual if I have time to kill place that I go in a library that's nice 
I, I usually default to like the, the recommended shelf, you know, just like whatever the staff has been reading and liking, or maybe if they have uh, like a band book section, that's always good. I do like to read like a lot of nonfiction, but that, you know, you can't really browse that. You just, you just have a topic you're already interested in and then a book will find you. So yeah, like the recommended shelf. I really like that. Yeah, I like the magazines and periodicals because mm. I just like the way that people interact with them. It's not even about the books themselves. <laughs> I like the vibe of the section, you know? It's like, it feels like the commons. This is where the people come <laughs> to read the magazines. And What's I just I dig, that. This, I dig that. This month's quarterly whatever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Also, probably the only place I read the covers of, like, Vogue anymore. <laughs> the library. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much, Natasha, for taking some time to answer a listener question. We are so delighted to have had you here for an interview, and now we get to have you answer a question. What a life! What a life! What a life. We feel very lucky and grateful. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Woo! Well, hello, lovely bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I had to call you that because people call us that in emails all the time. And yeah. It's bold. It's bold, but I'm not saying I don't like it. I honestly really love it. I'm just like <laughs> cracking up every time I hear it. It's like whenever people introduce me as their official lesbian or something like that, I just start <laughs> dying. I'm like, I get that this is a drag, but it's a fun drag, right? Like, <laughs> resident <laughs> lesbian Sarah Sentry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so hi, lovely bitches. We love you. Thank you for listening in. It means the world to us. If you want to support us, you know all this stuff you can do. You can rate and review. You can tell your friends about us. You can tell people you've never met. You can <laughs> high-five strangers and be like, hey, wash your hands, then go listen to Bitches on Comics. That'd be fantastic. One way you can help that maybe you haven't thought of, which... Seems impossible if you've been listening to the podcast, <laughs> is you can join us on Patreon. So if you don't know what Patreon is, it's this really cool platform that allows independent creators to get sort of crowdfunded on a regular basis. Right now, we are, you know, we have wonderful followers. I don't know how many we have. It's around 40, I think. Around and 40. it's so awesome to have 40. I remember whenever we first started, I was like, okay, the best I've done on a Patreon is like three. So <laughs> like, let's see how this goes. So it's really nice to have 40. And people are in and out and stuff like that, which is how I am on Patreon as well. And I think it's kind of, uh, it's like good to, yeah. to keep the variety going, right? Do what's right for you. And if you've been a patron in the past, thank you so much. If you're a patron now, OMG, you're the best. Thank you for being here with us. If you got some extra bones rattling around in your pocket, I mean money, not actual bones. Although <laughs> send you bones can sell to a those different, bones. <laughs> send bones to a different address. Um, <laughs> I'll give you that address if you email me. It's patreon.com slash bones. Um, if you... <laughs> So if you want to help us out not giving us bones, you can go to patreon.com slash bitches on comics. You can join us for as little as $2 a month or as much as you'd like. The cool thing about our Patreon is we decided we didn't care for the tiers. So it's really like what, what works for you? How can you help us? How much can you help us at? Choose the amount that works for you and, and thank you for coming and joining us. Over on Patreon, we have tons of bonus content from comics coverage to TV and film coverage and everything that 
might be in between. I don't know what that would be, but I'm sure there's something. We also have discount codes that we share with you from all of our queer spec projects, including Decoded Pride and our secret upcoming projects. And as well as access to all of the existing bonus episodes. I think at this point we have over a hundred bonus episodes on our Patreon. And hey, word to the wise, you don't actually even have to be a patron to go listen to a bunch of them. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash bitches on comics. If you can join us for two bucks or more a month, OMG, please do. If you can't, go listen to the free episodes. We want you to get the content. We have a good time talking about everything from Doom Patrol, Harley Quinn, Nicolas Cage. Don't ask questions. Just go listen. And we really appreciate you. Again, we're at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. have an amazing guest here with us today, the incredible, the amazing Jay Edidin. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yay, we're so happy you're here. We brought Jay in because we got a great question from a listener, and we knew that Jay's expertise would help us answer this question as thoroughly as possible. Our question is from Recluse via email. Recluse says, I was wondering if you would be open to doing an episode on trans mask comic characters. I am a closeted trans man and do not find much representation in comics, even though it is a huge outlet for me. Thank you so much for the question, Recluse. Like, you are the best. And thank you so much for, uh, yeah, trusting us to answer such a personal question. We really appreciate it. So, yeah, I mean, I am non-binary and trans. This is Essie. I have not entered the point of understanding myself to know if I could answer a question about whether or not I was transmasculine. Um part of the fun non-binary piece. So I didn't feel quite suited to answer the question alone. And, uh, you know, that's part of why we were like, hey, Jay, we know you do a lot of podcasting. We know you're busy, but would you like to join us to answer the question? And Jay graciously was like, "Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for being here, Jay. Any thoughts you want to open up? I mean, my my answer is going to be a, a mix of, of awkward and slightly depressing, the first part of which is that I have been so bad about keeping up with current comics for like the last year. And I feel like one of the combination great and frustrating things about right now is that the amount of material that's coming out with regards to representation is so much more than it ever was before. And there's a ton. And the downside is that you need to actually follow it. So, um, which I have not been. Um, I did, however, just finish reading the first volume of a really terrific manga called Boys Run the Riot, whose main character is a trans guy. It was on my list too, Jay. That manga is so fucking good. It's so, so good. I really, really, really loved it. Um, And I would also point you toward the works of Dylan Edwards, who is a cartoonist, who is is a a trans cartoonist, who's done a lot of especially nonfiction comics about interviews and based on interviews with um, trans men. Yeah, I was when you say that I was thinking of his work Transposes. Yeah. That exactly. one's so beautiful and so well done. Yeah, those are those are both great. Boys Run the Riot. I was, you know, it's it's manga, it's a, a you know, about high schoolers. I was like, "Oh, this will be fun." And then like on the fourth page, I was like, "Is this about me? Is this, am I this trans boy who wants to design t-shirts?" And I don't have an answer to that, but I plan on reading every volume because it is so beautiful. I was really, really struck by it. It's absolutely gorgeous, and it does such a good job of balancing 
the centrality of transness to identity and sort of thought, and especially like when you're still closeted, the way it is just a perpetual backbeat to everything you experience mm. and to not making the entire book be my trans crisis, the comic. Totally, totally. I love the characters in it, and I love how much of it is the main character really kind of exploring and adjusting his sense of, of what it means to be a boy, what it means to be a man, Ugh. and sort of his, his, the models of masculinity that he has in his life and the ways that those, those impact you know, his, his own kind of identity and self-expression. Yeah, the, the the basic idea is what I was weeping about, listeners. But also it's about, you know, this this young trans man who meets another man, young man who just doesn't care that he stands out. He's okay with standing out of the crowd. And it's like the, the floodgates open. And suddenly he's like, it's okay to stand out? Well, then maybe maybe I'm okay. And maybe I can actually say what's happening inside of me. Because like even in the first, I mean, it's it's in the first, 20 pages that he goes from referring to himself with a certain set of words to to saying out loud like I am I'm a boy and I am I am not okay with what what is happening here. Oh yeah, don't miss Boys Run the Riot. That's by Kato Gaku and it is whew, I'm going to think about this comic every day for the rest of my life I think or this this manga. <laughs> it is something else. And then, uh, like you said, uh, Transposes by Dylan Edwards. Very cool. Dylan also does um, a variety of small comics. I know that he had a piece recently featured in Outfront, which is a magazine um, based here in Colorado. And so that's another great place to see his work. I also, you know, honestly, I was just following up on some notes I had, and I have been reading, and I wonder if either of you have read it, Dead Endia by Hamish Steele. I've not. I haven't, no. Uh, Ayola Solarin, when she came on the pod, she was talking about Dead Endia. Yeah, so it's being adapted into a Netflix TV show, which is also exciting. But Dead Endia is this great story set at a theme park that is like sort of an analog for Dollywood. And there's like a horror portion of the theme park that, well, you know what? It's also a portal to hell. <laughs> it is so much fun. And there's just this really casual way that the main character's transness shows up. You know, like sometimes they'll just be out of breath and be like, oh my God, this binder is killing me. And I I honestly don't think I'd ever seen that in a comic. And so I was just, I, I loved it, India. Cannot recommend it highly enough. I think it has two or three volumes. And again, I think the Netflix series comes out maybe sometime this year, which I cannot even imagine. And it'll be an animated series if that wasn't clear. So I think that's going to be... Netflix delightful. tends to not give release dates until like a week before. Okay, well, then that makes sense. I was like, why don't I know? <laughs> My question was, because we talked with Ben Khan a little bit about Cyclops and how the read from Ben was that there was a non-binary side to Cyclops. So I guess I was curious if that's a character, really in general, are there characters that you headcanon? And then do you headcanon Cyclops? So there, I have two parts to answer this. One, that's not really my read on Cyclops, but one of the great things about long-spanning superhero comics is that literally any read is entirely canonically backed <laughs> and is, is going to be heavily subjective. Uh, what I will say is, so X-Men Marvel Snapshots is about figuring out that you're trans. Um, <laughs> it's not textually that, but it's that's basically the story that it is. You know, I didn't want to say that because I, I always feel conflicted. Like, as a queer and trans person, all I want to do is talk about queer and trans shit. But that's not everybody. And so I never want to, like, come to these episodes and be like, tell me all your gay shit now. Yeah, no, that's that's deliberately what it's about. 
I love that. Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah, because I've definitely been like, I read this trans narrative in your story. And the person's like, I don't agree with that. (laughs) So, hey, this time I wasn't out on a limb. But are there other characters that you headcanon as trans mask? Mm. Because, like, for us, we always headcanon, like, Emma Frost as a trans woman. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Wolverine is is obviously kind of the go-to for Trans Mask X-Men. This is something that's that's come up in conversation before. Um I, I remember having this long, amazing conversation with someone about the idea of Wolverine as like a 30s butch. Oh my god. I'm gonna cry. And and just just the idea of that. But no, um, because because Wolverine, like, because he's he's a grumpy, scrappy short dude who has complicated relationships to masculinity and like obsessively worries about teenage girls. Oh, oh Wolvie. He's, he's a very specific and not entirely inaccurate stereotype. Oh my God. I and also that. his clone is female assigned. So there's that, which is this, this huge piece of potential, you know, canonical evidence. But I, God, I don't headcanon a lot. And I feel weird about that. Like, the, are the things that I headcanon tend to be really, really small things. Like, I have a lot of opinions about Wolverine's handwriting. <laughs> um, but I'm so intensely, I guess, aware of characters as not being mine that I'll I'll say, you know, this character could reasonably read this way. You know, this this feels like a metaphor. This could be interpreted this way, but it never quite goes as far as being headcanon for me. Um, mm. Let me think. I'm, I'm going to try to push past that. Um, Quentin Quire is absolutely non-binary. Obviously. Um, and I, I feel like the fact that they're not using neutral pronouns at this point is, is ridiculous. Um, who else? God, characters who could characters who could read as trans mask superhero comics and an X-Men. I'm sorry, this is this is where this is where you're hitting grad student brain because I'm I'm <laughs> sitting here thinking, who are male characters? Right. Are there any? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Swamp Thing falls in this area where like, you know, I, I know it's DC, so it's like not our wheelhouse for today necessarily. But I always feel like he they fall in like this interesting area where it's like they have a lot of feels about manhood, but they're not a man. They like that's quite literally part of the narrative. At least, you know, I know that there's a million different you guys know there's a million different ways we read everybody. But I always feel like I put him in like a like me and, and Swamp Thing are in like a strug bubble <laughs> around it. I was just gonna say Rachel Summers is a character that I see. Basically, whatever your personal experience is, people are like, that's what Rachel is. Because I feel like as a cis lesbian, I'll be like, oh, yeah, she's totally a cis lesbian. She's in love with Kate Pride. All of this is very reflective of my story. And then people are like, I read Rachel as trans mask. And I'm like, hell yeah, like that makes sense to me. And then somebody's, I read Rachel as non-binary. I read Rachel as all of the things because I think that the benefit of Rachel being kind of, I'm going to say not, there's so many traditionally feminine, I guess, characters in the X-Men that explore that part. But with Rachel, she's one of those characters that you really can view it just whatever your experience is, basically, and be like, oh yeah, that's what Rachel is. A character, actually, I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about it more, a character who I could absolutely buy and read as trans mask is Gambit. Oh. Right. Yeah. Again, for complicated relationships to gender and gender performance and also fashion sense that specifically reads as really trans mask to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes me like him so much. I feel more. like there, there's there's very specifically a a like 
Dickensian Moppet phase a lot of us go through. <laughs> They're like, I must have a long coat and short pants. Dickensian <laughs> Moppet. Oh, that's good stuff. It's a whole, it's a comic in and of itself. <laughs> wow, those are all great headcanons. I love all of those. Just thinking about how everybody has a crush on Gambit, right? In the comics, not necessarily me as a person. Do I have a Gambit crush? But uh, everybody in the comics loves this guy, right? So I was thinking too, yeah, totally. I read it. And he he specifically reads to me as someone who has been stealth for a fairly long time and is still pretty paranoid about it. Yeah, I'm thinking about that scene in... uh, I'm thinking about in the animated series. uh, The Sentinel destroys them all. And he's (laughs) just like at a car store... (laughs) Flirting with a woman, like, over I a usually deck of cards. play solitaire unless <laughs> right? I've got somebody to play with, and you're just like, Whoa, Gambit. <laughs> and that has a whole different color to it. Sir, yeah, we are he's a television show, and that was definitely about masturbation. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to go on the record and say that's the first time I knew that. Uh, it's a good point, and I should have picked up on that, but I didn't. I sure didn't. Uh, there were two <laughs> other trans mask comics I wanted to mention. One is Yin City by Higu Rose. And that is a webcomic. It is so cool. It's a lot of like sketchy art, tons of different trans characters. Highly recommend that one. And then one I was just delighted to trip over, which is called Ambrosia Trans Mask and Non-Binary Erotic Comics Anthology, I believe is what it's called. And that one's edited by Tab Kimpton and Jade Sarzen. Now that one I'm going to just... If you didn't catch the erotic in that one, there is a lot of nudity, (laughs) graphic sex, (laughs) and it is awesome. (laughs) But if it's not your cup of tea, I would say don't pick that one up. But uh, that one's also available online. You can also buy trans poses by Dylan Edwards from his website. So go over there and send some bones his way. Ambrosia has a website. That's the erotic anthology. If you're up for the erotic part, go check that out. Yin City is available online. Dead India is available online in a couple of different places, at least for the first volume. Enjoy looking into that. And then Boys Run the Riot, which is, again, going to be available. It's on Comixology, but also in print. You know, anytime you can buy something in print or buy it from the artist directly, that's always what we recommend. Or online from somewhere that's not owned by Amazon. That's what I like to hear. I had just one more question, which is what would you like to see going forward? Because Mm. I think that our conversations... It reminds me of when we talked to Chingy and we were kind of talking about sex worker representation in comics and we were like, well, this was all terrible. (laughs) So it's just like there's not enough and then there's a lot of really negative takes. Uh, So what would you like to see? What would be something that you would like to see moving forward? I feel like cis people have, have gotten the default for long enough. I would like the default going forward, especially for big two superhero comics, to be to assume that all characters are trans unless explicitly stated otherwise, ideally in a tearful coming out scene. You are singing my song. I love everything I'm about that. I am tragically cis. This also reminds me of whenever Sarah Gailey, they were teasing me for being a cis person on the <laughs> podcast. Like, oh, they still exist. And I was like, oh, this is delightful. <laughs> Nobody's done this. Like, I, I want to get- see the cisgender or straight equivalent of, have you ever read North Star's coming out scene? Yes. The, the flying through the air yelling, I am a gay man <laughs> while punching someone. Like, it should have to be I'm that cis. dramatic when straight people and cis people show up in comics. 
You know, I think we should allow a few straight and cis people in comics just because, like, they deserve Not to in the have X-Men, a though. little bit of representation. <laughs> no, I mean, the X-Men is canonically trans and queer. We're not going to mess up our superhero comics for, like, the special interest group. Hello. I don't know. That just feels unrealistic to me. Like, most of the people I <laughs> hang out with in real life are trans and queer. And, and just, I, I don't want to, like, just shoehorn straight people in just for the sake of some kind of fictional representation thing. <laughs> You know what, Jay, you're right. I was being, you know, I was tokenizing straight people, and that's not right either, you know? Uh, I for feel those like if of a straight you- writer, you know, comes in and, and really really brings that perspective and wants to make sure that that gets sold, like, I feel like that's that's kind of one thing. But, you know, also it's important to not just hire straight people just because they're straight to write those characters. Yeah, yeah, you know. But, you know, we got to give them a leg up. You know, it's hard for straight comic writers out there. Uh <laughs> but no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously being kind of sarcastic, but also I would kind of like more of a default in that direction. Oh, yeah. that part I did not mean sarcastically. Everything else I yeah. meant sarcastically. <laughs> like, I, I, I want more of the, I, I want less of the default be okay unless stated otherwise everyone is, is straight and cisgender. I, I, I want like cis headcanons to be as much of a thing as trans headcanons. Oh, Yeah. I love it. Well, Recluse, thank you for just an excellent question. We hope you got some good recs there. If you haven't read them, go check them out. If there's anything you listeners and you Recluse have checked out recently that has trans mask representation that you are just like, oh my gosh, more people need to read this. Please tell us. We want to read it. We care. And we really appreciate you being here as a special guest today, Jay. You are the best. I'm a big fan. You are the best. Thank you so much. This has been such, such a good time. Sarah, do you want to say anything? Yeah, the downside of not being able to see my face is how often I just like grin like a fool. (laughs) And then pause and go, yeah. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Same very much. (laughs) Uh, Jay, where can people find you online if they'd like to follow you? Okay, if you are specifically interested in hearing more of my dulcet voice, you can do that as at uh, Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. It is a podcast. It is weekly. It is exactly what it says on the tin. And that is explainthexmen.com and also Explain the X-Men on Twitter and Tumblr. I live mostly on Twitter as an individual. I am not lasers there. And in my Twitter bio, you can find links to pretty much everything else that I do on the internet. How active I am is varies pretty wildly. I suspect it's not going to be much um, in the near future because I am also a full-time graduate student in addition to being a, a halftime comics editor and part-time podcaster and everything else. And and yeah, it's it's kind of a lot. Although it's kind of also how I blow off steam. So I guess just assume it's going to be 90% shit posting. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, not lasers. Love it. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at BitchesOnComics and come check us out on our website, BitchesOnComics.com. If you are not already a patron and you got some extra bones jangling around in your pocket, come join us. We do tons of conversations like these, uh, many of which are hosted for free on our Patreon, so you can also just go look at the free ones. But again, you got a couple extra bones. Come help us keep going strong. We're at Patreon.com slash BitchesOnComics. Don't try to go to Patreon.com and look up Bitches on Comics. We say swear words like fuck, dang it, shoot, darn. And that is not allowed in searchable <laughs> Patreon. I was going to say fuckaroo. Like, fuck-a-roo. we say a bunch of stuff. Shit. a ding a ding dong I like to sing a lot of ones that aren't like actual swears. <laughs> I mean, they sound like it. Dick Marmot. <laughs> Subtext. I mean, butt sex. 
Cockamamie. <laughs> Cockamamie! Oh, I'm going to get that as a tattoo. All right, that's it. Oh, or my grandma always said, um, Dagnabbit. Dagnabbit. Because she was after Bugs Bunny. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at, at @bitchesoncomics and on Instagram at, at @bitchesoncomics. Our website is brace yourself bitchesoncomics.com if you go there you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs I don't remember what it is I am in charge of updating the website however so good luck thanks for the heads up I'll go to this website now if you'd like to support the podcast you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts I'm Sarah Century and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a lighthearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Get inspired while learning all about the unique planes of existence. Get the in-depth knowledge you need to help your combat encounters feel impactful or learn about the origins and pantheons of every race and class the game offers. No stone is left unturned as every edition of the game is explored and explained in a way that benefits players of all different levels of experience. You can expand your TTRPG horizons in a way that's as entertaining as it is educational just by listening. All you have to do is go to your favorite podcast app or YouTube and search for The Dungeon Cast.